0: This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Your Federal Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy and investing and retirement planning brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin.
1: Hello and welcome to the show. Few things can sink an individual investor more than buying or selling on a motion. That can lead to tries at market timing, which rarely works out, especially when things are high or low. My next guest cautions time is more important than timing. Tiago Gleeger is a private wealth advisor at RMG Advisors of Rockville, Maryland. I spoke with him earlier. We started with a particular current stock phenomenon. And a lot of people are saying, you know, they read headlines about NVIDIA and all these companies and want to chase it maybe or not chase it, or what's the best thinking about investing now when we have you know near record industrial averages and indices?
2: Yeah, you know, Tom, it's interesting because we've been here before, right? All-time highs are nothing new. Uh, and of course, the past is not always prologue. Uh, but it's reasonable to assume that in the long run, the economy and its temperamental sibling, the markets, uh, are likely to behave as they have in the past, right? I, I just want to point out at the end of two thousand and eight, the S&P 500 was around 800. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was just under 9,000. And the NASDAQ was around 1,500. And earlier this month in February, we're talking about an S&P 500 that notched over 5,000 from 800, a Dow Jones at 38,000 from 9,000, and a NASDAQ at 16,000 from 1,500. And the entire way up, there have been so many reasons to get out of the markets to stay in the G fund because another recession was coming. It was COVID. It was Brexit. It was the Fed. It was elections. You name it. Right. And so when people think about long term investing, trying to get in and out, you might miss out on a lot of that growth.
1: Or playing it too closely because you're afraid of the fluctuations means with the G fund, you have foregone enormous amounts of returns over the year.
2: That's right. The G fund is this year it's hard to, to be mad at the G fund because it's paying a reasonable interest rate. But if you look at over time, it does not outplace outpace inflation and that becomes a challenge to you in keeping up your lifestyle.
1: Question is, you know, what is the top? And maybe it's useful to discuss what it is that drives these indices, because sometimes like the Nikkei and so on are not really based on anything that tells you much about the actual performance of anything you're going to buy.
2: Right. Right. And I think the biggest thing that federal employees can remember is that there's really two big things that drive the markets. And Warren Buffett talks about that all the time. It's fear and greed. Right. And so when thinking about when are people really excited about the markets, it's typically when people's emotions are very positive. And that usually occurs after the markets have provided a lot of growth for people. And so that's when momentum really picks up. And then as things really start to get to the 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 all-time high, when is the top? That's really hard to know, right? That would almost require a crystal ball. Uh, and frankly, there's no shame in not knowing because we can't know the future. And so it's not when people begin to start to feel that sense of fear and look at valuations from a corporation that they start to say, you know what, maybe everything's a little too expensive and we, we want to start to raise cash and be a little more conservative. But
1: there are things that people can look at other than the fever chart of stock prices like what is the, what is the uh, the ratios within a stock you know say to their the performance of the company financially versus their actual stock price there's also what's happening in the greater market uh, there's also happening what's happening with interest rates and so on you can maybe get a better idea of what's likely to happen in the economy that's real as opposed to the the trading and selling that goes on over indexes and stock prices.
2: That's right. And if you were to think about the short term, it's much easier to predict, uh, you know, does it look like there's something looming around the corner? I think that a lot of times investors will be stuck in trying to do fundamental analyses on individual stocks and bonds. And that can get a little bit complicated. And of course, in the TSP, You can't invest in the individual stocks. You are really invested in the index funds. But you have to also remember that the economy and the markets are two separate things, right? The economy is being driven by data that has already occurred, whereas the markets are thinking about, what could be coming down the line here? What do we expect profits to be for corporations? And if you think companies like NVIDIA, for instance, uh, I think it was on a Barron's piece, somebody talked about they are selling shovels in the gold rush at this point, NVIDIA, right? They're providing the equipment for this AI technology that's out there. And that's a really great analogy to think about how should you be thinking about stocks if you're doing that kind of investing? Are they in a position to really benefit from where technology is headed? And you know, the, I think the other challenge with the index is uh, there's really been about seven stocks. The big, they call them the magnificent seven, right? It's the big names, the Microsoft, the Apple, the NVIDIA, the Facebook, the Google. Uh, and they have provided 75% of the growth last year that was available in the S&P 500. The other 490 stocks in the index were pretty much left in the dust, right? And so how can you know which one is the right one? That's why a lot of people do prefer the index investing because they don't just don't want to have to think about the individual stocks.
1: And what about the, it's not even the emergence, it's the establishment and increased growing influence of just algorithmic patterns of trading that are not the so-called sum of individuals making their decisions, and that's what the market is all about. It's machinery causing these big swings when they do occur. Who's got control over that, and what is the contribution of that to how people should think about their own investments?
2: That's that's actually a really good point, Tom, because what happens when you look at institutional mutual funds and really large managers, the vanguards, the Fidelities, the Black Rocks, they don't use emotion when they're thinking about portfolio management and creating a fund, right? The best thing you can do to your portfolio is remove emotion. And so in its place are these algorithmic traits? And what do they look for? They look for what you mentioned earlier, which is both a combination of technical analysis and fundamental analysis. Where are valuations on corporations? Is it still worth buying shares at this price? And if the answer is no, according to their algorithm, then those trades are going to stop or they're going to reverse and start to sell those and create cash. And and then when investors look at the markets and go, "Wait a minute, Warren Buffett is raising billions of dollars in cash. Fidelity is raising billions of dollars in cash." You're right, those might be algorithms that are just triggering, not necessarily their sentiment about the markets.
1: And of course, Warren Buffett won't live forever, but you know, recently, for example, he reduced his stake by a little bit in Apple. And he could have a thousand reasons for doing that. Maybe he didn't want to have so much influence over Apple or maybe he thought Apple was going to tank or but he didn't dump it. He just reduced his play in it a little bit. And so there's a danger in overinterpreting what some of the leading investors are doing too, I, I suppose.
2: Right, right. And you have to remember, too, their Warren Buffett won't live forever, but his fund has an infinite timeline. Right, his investment is going to remain. Whereas a federal employee thinking about their own retirement plan, that type of strategy may not necessarily work because you don't have 15 more years to just sit on a stock if you're wrong, right? Or if you're too aggressive or something like that.
1: All right. So then what should in- individual investors be thinking about now? I won't ask you what they should do because you're not here to give investment advice, but how should they be thinking about the next couple of years In the tsp
2: yeah i think that there are countless different kinds of strategies suited for all sorts of circumstances but the one that we find very successful for many federal families is to really take what's called a bucketed approach to investments uh and the strategy itself is not novel you know we've been using this with clients for many years uh and so i think that it's it's a matter of understanding how much money you're going to need in the short term and then maybe three years from now and then maybe five and ten and fifteen and twenty years from now and then you can, you can bifurcate your portfolio in terms of different jobs. And if you know that in 12 months you're going to need money for a down payment of your new retirement home or money for something that you're going to need, that's a part of your portfolio that should be conservatively invested. doesn't matter if you think Apple is going to go through the moon or not, because if it's volatile because the next COVID comes around or whatever the case is, you just don't have that time because you know you're going to use that money. So use something more conservative. And the idea is the longer you go out in time, the more tolerance for risk you should in theory have. And so you can let those markets do their compounding growth over time. Uh, And so taking short-term buckets using conservative investments, longer-term buckets using more growth investments can be a solid approach.
1: Right. So the short term things then you would maybe not want in the TSP because of the penalties for using it.
2: Right. That's potentially true, especially if you are not old enough to take money out or, uh, you know, if you are also invested more aggressively in the TSP. You know, the thing about the TSP is it will proportionally take from all of the funds. So you can't just select take money from the G fund. Yeah, you could rebalance after taking money out immediately. Uh, and kind of help against that. But typically for shorter term money, unless you're already retired, people are looking to things like savings and brokerage accounts.
1: And what about the emotional content that people have when they bring to their investment strategy? You know, Warren Buffett, Folksy, to to, return to that example, you know, well-known Folksy, the Oracle of Omaha, I think they call him. But really there's a steely methodology in there that there's a big staff and it's not Warren Buffett deciding, you know, Every story is not like Dairy Queen, for example. You know, he liked the cones, so he bought the company, etc. cetera. Emotion does play a big role in it. And is there a strategy that people can separate themselves from their pessimism, which might be endemic, or their optimism, which might be endemic in their limbic node of their brain?
2: Yeah, that's, del- that's very interesting that you bring that up because there is a Nobel prize that has been won in behavioral economics and the reasons behind why we make money choices and thinking about, uh, you know, we have this thing we share with clients called the investor emotion cycle, and it, it really just goes up and down in terms of the markets and people feel differently about it. If you think about what happened in 2022, how hard was it to stay invested? People were flooding to the G fund. Right. And it was not until I would I think it was somewhere around April or May of 2023, which was, you know, four or five months into last year that people really started to come back to the CS funds. But really, that was already the whole year had already been full of growth at that point. Uh, and there's a lot of research out there that talks about if you miss only the 10 best days in the markets, then you've actually missed out on more than 50 percent of the growth available in that year. And so what can people do, I think, as they can maintain that strategy for being long term, if they're going to be in stocks, then just know that it's going to go up and it's going to go down at some point. Volatility is the price that you pay for the opportunity of long term growth. Right. And so if you can remain invested, then you're more likely to participate in those good volatility days, which is going to give you that growth in the long term.
1: And what about uh, something I've noticed a lot on cable television and in advertising and print is that it waxes and wanes, but the admonition to, because the world is coming to an end and everything's breaking down socially and economically and financially and war is breaking out all over, gold, you should buy gold. But if you look at the actual price of gold, it also fluctuates and goes down and goes up and it's also an industrial commodity. It's not just for jewelry. And so what's your opinion of precious metals?
2: I think if you look at precious metals as a commodity, right, and look at it, how you would use commodities in a portfolio, I think that would be the more prudent approach in looking at it. You know, thinking about I'm going to hoard gold or I'm going to hang on to a lot of gold simply because uh, the world is coming to an end. Do you have shares of gold or do you have gold bars in your safe? You know, I think that's, they're, di- they're both gold, but it's for a different purpose at that point. Um, if you overinvest in commodities like gold and silver and you're wrong about the world ending, then that also means that you're also not probably keeping up with inflation. Because you're right, it does have its volatilities. It does not grow as fast as other investment vehicles. And so then you think about, okay, you're hedging one risk, but you're creating another risk, longevity of your money.
1: So basically then stay in the TSP have a mixture, a bucket, and you'll probably be okay.
2: Yeah. If if you are still working and you have a lot of years before retirement, you know, I hate to say this, invest and look away, but it's one of the best things to keep yourself from trading into oblivion. You know, sometimes our emotions get the best of us, but if you can stay aggressively invested, CS&I, uh, that will pay off in the long run. If you are sub five years to retirement, that's a different story. Um, because it requires a little more
1: thought. Tiago Glieger, a private wealth advisor at RMG Advisors of Rockville, Maryland. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll hear from the national president of the African-American Federal Executives Association as Black History Month for 2024 winds up. You're listening to Your Federal Life here on Federal News Network. I'm Tom Tammond. Welcome back to your federal life here on Federal News Network. I'm Tom Tamman As this year's Black History Month comes to a conclusion, we wanted to check in on how things look today for black managers in the federal government. For some perspective on the here and now, I spoke to the president of the African American Federal Executives Association, Tyra Dent.
0: You know, the temperature is certainly rising. I mean, and I use that in a, in a context that... Um, We are seeing progress. It has been three years. Uh, We certainly do acknowledge that the work needs to continue. There is work to still be done, but we're definitely seeing progress. We remain encouraged and hopeful that the focus on equality and equity and inclusiveness will continue, that that momentum will not Um, relax itself in the years ahead, that we can continue to leverage and gain uh, upon the progress that we have made.
1: And I wanted to ask you about the so-called DEIA programs that have been launched in a lot of agencies, a lot of corporations. There's been a little bit of rollback of some of that, because Mm -hmm. I think one of the components of those, not all of them, but in some cases, has been to try to convince everybody else that they might be a bigot and not know it, which kind of mm-hmm. seems like a sort of a prejudgment of other people. What's your mm-hmm. sense of the quality and the effectiveness of DEI programs and how would you maybe improve them?
0: Certainly. First of all, I I like to dispel the use of a program. As a DEI advocate, Longtime advocate, I think part of the or significant part of our individual and collective ability to really embrace the benefits of DEI come from a shift in our mindset that this is about the business. It is not a program that has a finite start date and an end date or an implementation period. It needs to be woven into our daily business practices policies, procedures, and processes. And so when we can adopt that concept that this is enhancing the organization's ability to deliver on its mission to maintain excellence in service to our nation, then I think we can get away from the what I like to really refer to as the, the noise level aspect of it that tends to distract us from the work that really needs to be done. And and really just acknowledge that this is really enabling a more productive, a more effective government.
1: And one of the other initiatives, really, of every administration, but it goes on and on, and that is the idea of getting more young people to consider government as a career choice. And the government manages to stay staffed, even though it's hard to bring in those people and the numbers of younger people, the percentage of of the federal population that is very young is small. But for those that are coming in that are diverse, black young people coming in, what's your advice to them for kind of sticking it out if they have ambitions to rise to managerial and senior executive ranks?
0: So I like to remind them that the work of the federal government is purposeful impactful and meaningful that they have an opportunity to reach across our nation in service to our citizens that's the higher calling if you will to public service uh, to, to careers in public service but on a more you know personal level to these to the young folks i like to also share with them that The government is working. We we acknowledge that we need to be cultivating a younger workforce, that we need to be implementing policies that respond to things like more flexibility and opportunities for career growth where they're not stagnant, opportunities for professional development. And so I do remain encouraged. I have the opportunity to see great work being done by other organizations partnership for public service to name one convergence for a democratic society there's a lot of work going on really looking into how we can how we can more effectively market opportunities in the federal government to a younger generation and not only market them but when they come through the door how we can fulfill those promises and create conditions for employment that really inspire them to want to serve as a public servant.
1: And for federal managers at the level that are members of the organization of the African American Federal Executive Association, as for all SESers, given how weird the politics are out there in the country, what are the challenges in maintaining not just Hatch Act lack of, of, of violation, but really Keeping your focus on that job and trying to tune out all of the politics and keeping it out of the workplace in the federal office, which is the only way people can get along and get the job done.
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. That That's an art. <laughs> you know, there's, there's not an, a one size fits all or, you know, a textbook answer for that. For me, during my career, while we had periods, you know, it ebbs and flows in the federal government as a result of these weird politics. I like the way you refer to that. But part of that is the individual responsibility to really stay focused on the mission and what we're there to do. We're serving our American population, our nation, and focusing on the jobs that we're doing and the service. And the benefits that we're bringing to the American people, when that is really, really instilled in us, it has to quiet some of those distractions and um, political tensions that exist within the federal government.
1: And the association has its executive leadership development program coming up in a couple of months. What are some of the themes? And you've got some headline speakers there.
0: Yeah. So our theme is leading the call to action. And that theme is really packed. You know, we're, we're going to unpack that. There are many dimensions to where we as individuals and collectively as public servants and as African Americans can really, um, you know, lead the call to action on issues that you just bring up, you know, uh, recruiting and attracting a younger generation of African Americans into the federal government. Um, we've got confirmed so far, Dr. Siobhan Arline-Bailey, the president and CEO of the National Council of Negro Women is our opening day speaker. We're thrilled to have her. And we've got a lot of other trailblazing leaders and, and practitioners that we are lining up. It's three days. It begins on June the 4th, runs through June the 6th. It's all in person at the College Park Marriott Hotel and Conference Center. And uh, we really are looking for unprecedented turnout this year. This also happens to be our 20th annual Leadership Development Workshop. And so we're very proud that for 20 consecutive years, despite weird politics, despite other nuances along the way that the African American Federal Executive Association has been able to keep its promise to deliver this three-day workshop. So we're really looking forward to
1: it. Tyra Dent is national president of the African-American Federal Executives Association. And that's it for this week's Your Federal Life. We'll return next week with more about your financial and professional affairs. Until then, I'm Tom Tammett. Thanks for listening to Your Federal Life here on Federal News Radio, part of the
0: Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search Your Federal Life.